Hello, I'm with Sue Coral today, and uh, she has written many books. Uh, the latest one is called The Crown of Beauty, and she also has her own international women's conference that she uh, goes out and ministers all over the world in Asia and other places. So I'm happy to introduce my guest today, Sue, and uh, she'll talk about uh, what her life is uh, all about right now. Hi, Sue. Hey, hi. Great to be here with everybody. Thank you for inviting me, Seema. It's so nice well, to be here. I'm so happy that you're here to do the podcast because I really want to learn about your ministry and especially that you lived abroad in much of your life. So I wanted to uh, hear your story. Yeah, great. Well, I share lots of different stories, but related to living over abroad, uh, I, I was raised by a family of uh, missionaries, I guess. I was not, my mom is not a missionary. I kind of skipped a generation, but my grandparents and um, their siblings, a lot of them were in China and Philippines. So not surprisingly, my brother ended up in the Philippines and I ended up in China. Wow. <laughs> but it really gave me an interest, you know, hearing their stories. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the 1900s and they were there. Some made it up through into early 50s. Um, a lot left in the 40s. So you hear these stories, you see relics, you know, we mom had things laying around, little souvenir type things. So I had a definite interest. Then my brother went to Penn State. And so I used to visit him. And through that got connected with Campus Crusade for Christ, even though my college did not have that. I kind of started one on my college. And uh, they were really emphasizing China because it was one of the most unreached areas, places in the world at that point that were that was reachable, put it that way, <laughs> you know, meaning that you could get in there. So, you know, it's funny that you mentioned China um, because uh, I actually was looking up where my podcast goes. It kind of does go all over the world. And China, I thought, you know, because they're very restrictive on outsiders and keeping control even on religion they don't allow that in even their own religion so how is anyone able to minister in china yeah when i first started going in there i would just go in the summers i was living in hawaii serving in youth ministry at university of hawaii and in the summer we would take students on mission projects so we started going into china in the 80s and um it was very different at that point it was very um secretive so to speak you know you felt like a i don't know a spy but i wasn't of course nothing related to government it was just loving people and sharing your life so we did that and but then in 91 i moved in and went through uh as a teacher you know as a esl english second language teacher so that was pretty exciting. I ended up being there all the way for the most part till 2016. Wow. <laughs> it's a very long time. So in 93, I was single when I went in, but I met my husband. We came back. We were in Seattle for a year working with a company related to China and then a teaching company. And then we moved in back in but we went to Hong Kong and our role was to serve those in China who needed a break, foreigners who needed to come out and get medical attention or whatever. And we did that for a year. Then we went to the Philippines for two years. My husband went to grad school and then we ended up 
ended up back in China in 95 and we stayed there until uh, 2016. So we raised our two children there. We came back when it was time for them to go to college because we knew, wow, this is going to be a huge transition for them. My my son kind of clung to, I'm an American and Mm -hmm. they did go to an American Christian school there of all foreigners. But uh, my daughter didn't. She really got to know the language and get, got to know my friends and, you know, going to the market. She would talk to everybody and out on the streets. Yeah. She had Chinese friends. So it was a much bigger transition for her yeah. coming back here. We did send her to Nyack College, which was only 17% white. Wow. <laughs> my daughter, she looked white on the outside but didn't feel white on the inside so we called yeah, her I, a I, I <laughs> white kind of on the outside yellow that. on the inside what's that I, I can kind of understand that because when you're removed from the place that you're born and go to a different country as a child you really kind of immerse yourself with your environment so you feel whatever's around you you know yeah um, so I'm sure she probably felt like she was Chinese at that point right the other yeah but yeah. it's the classic TCK, third culture kid experience, because yeah. in China, she felt Chinese, but everybody's like, no, you're American. But she didn't feel American at all, because we only no. came back yeah. every other year for a few weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because they judge you by your outer appearance, but they don't realize that you're part of that culture. You eat the same right. food, eat the same language, you go to the same schools, and you marry within that environment. So... I don't know how you could separate yourself, you know. Yeah, but then you come back here and you don't really fit in here. Yeah. And everybody expects her to be like a typical American and she's not. Yeah. You know, Um, and like she didn't know. We tried to, like we downloaded, um, uh, you know, different shows. uh, What's the one? Anyway, that would help them at least get a little experience of understanding what America was about. First uh, language was Chinese. Uh, their first language was English, um, but for my daughter, especially when we we moved her there, she was born when we were what we call it furlough when we were back in the states in the U.S. But we moved back when she was three months, and yeah, so she fine. learned the two languages together. But I would definitely say her first language was English. Second was Chinese. But very natural. All that reinforced while she's, you know, living. So she doesn't have an accent, in other words. Whereas my my son, he was born in the Philippines and learned English. By the time he got there, he was two. He was already speaking English pretty well. And so... He was a little more resistant, I should say a lot more resistant to learning another language because it's yeah. like, I just got this one and now you're, you know, oh, my daughter, she's like mixed up the two yeah. <laughs> for a while. They were both coming out of her mouth. And we sent her to preschool, to a Chinese preschool when she was three, yeah. whereas uh, it's just two days a week, but still she was immersed. Yeah. Yeah. When you have multiple languages in your head, you do tend to, because uh, I wasn't born here. I was born in India. So my parents always spoke uh, in Hindi in their language. They still do that. So I understand them perfectly, but I cannot speak. And because all my language skills really came from the United States. So 
and like it'll take me 10,000 years to come up with a word, even though I know what it is and I did it. So it's, it, it is what it is. I mean, you're kind of immersed in both cultures and stuff. So tell me about your book, uh, Crown of Beauty, the yeah. many books that you have on already published. Yeah, I do have several. So Crown of Beauty, it's a tw- Crown of Beauty 12-week Bible study. And it really is the foundation of what our ministry is about, which is Crown of Beauty International. So you can get that on Amazon. And it's been incredibly transformational. So we have it now accounted. We have it in eight languages. There's three on Amazon, French, Spanish, English. And then if people want Spanish, Arabic, or it's not Spanish, Chinese, both traditional or um, sim- uh, simplified or Arabic or Bengali, uh, they can contact me directly. Go to our, our website and just send an email. Our website is... Um, www.crownofbeautyinternational.com. So, um, yeah, that's really key. That is what I travel around the world and train women especially, but we also have a men's version called More Than Conquerors. It's very, very similar. So sometimes I'll train men and women together and I'll kind of merge the two because they're so similar. And we really are helping men and women to get free from lies that they believe, usually from their upbringing. It can be current, but it often goes all the way back to their childhood. Lies about themselves, lies about God. You know, when we're under stress, you begin to doubt God. And that's when it kind of surfaces those lies, you know, or lies about our world or community. So that's what we talk about and help them how to identify them and then get free through renewing our mind and truth. You know, that's really key. And even through prayer, just rejecting those and stating the truths. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even all Christians, even me, I'm not immune to, you know, having doubts and trying to figure sure. out what is really on my side or not. So I, I could totally understand that. But uh, since you have lived abroad, especially Asia and stuff, how are they receptive to hearing about the gospel Versus their own deities, because there's about a thousand of them, millions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really depends on the place that we're going. You know, um, in in China, and I would say other countries where atheism is the primary religion, people will begin by saying, I don't don't need God. Uh, I have... Um, I just believe in myself, but then what happens is when their belief in themselves kind of crashes and burns, that's when there's a real openness. So I always tell Chinese because they'll start out by saying, oh, that's an American religion. And I said, well, let me tell you an interesting fact. If the world were to end today or blow up or something from me or whatever, uh, actually, there would be more Chinese in heaven than Americans. And they're like, oh, what? Because there's, um, there's you know, we estimate uh, there's over 150 million yeah. Chinese who are Christian. That's a, a small estimate. It's probably more than that. And it's growing every day. In America, it is not that high. So that's kind of interesting. That begins to open their eyes a little bit. Well, then tell me, uh, when I go over to Bangladesh, we're often in Hindu, which would be more what your um, yeah. family's background was. 
uh, or um, Muslim. And so, of course, it takes a lot longer for them. But again, I think it's as they begin to see that their own faith is really not helping. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not working for them. They begin to search and think, well, yeah, maybe. And especially if they have those positive witnesses. And a lot of what I do is building up leaders in these places so that they're strong, so they can then reach out to their own people, which is much more effective than me doing it. Yeah. And, you know, it does take a ton of strength because even in my uh, cultural community, they're not open to learning about the gospel. In fact, they say exactly the same thing or what you experience that they think this is a white man's religion. So they don't want mm -hmm. any part of that because according to them, their religion is the oldest, you know, it's been established a whole nation with billions of people are worshiping these gods. So why yeah. do you need to go to, you know, something from America to come to them? So that's biggest part of the resistance. And I, you know, because of that, I kind of did my own presentation trying to reach out to them. And as you mentioned, like, you know, it has to be, unless something happens, then that's where they're going to possibly see that, you know, the Christ is right and not what uh, they need all along. But I also see that, you know, the, especially the deities that they do worship, I feel like it's demonic worship and they're getting, a lot of them are getting what they desire from worshiping those. So it's hard for them to let go of those deities and, you know, transform their life where they could be losing everything. You know, mm -hmm. that, that was part of my experience that if I just gave in, just like they did, everything would be glorious. I could get whatever I want. But because I resisted and went the way of Christ, I am more all, all constantly under attack for one reason or another, you know, where I lose things. So that's when they see me as a witness. They go, well, why would I want to be like you when we're prosperous, we get everything we want. And they see me as the opposite of what they would desire. So, but I think uh, I'm hoping, uh, especially in the United States, I probably don't think there's a whole lot of me out there witnessing, you know, the gospel. So I'm hoping over time that will change. And so I'm really happy to, you know, to hear about you and your experience overseas and what that means. Yeah, it's interesting because tomorrow, I'm actually speaking at a church that's predominantly Indian. Uh -huh. And so these are also predominantly people who came to the U.S. and turned away from Hinduism. Yeah. And I think the thing with uh, so much of so many Hindus in the world is it's really a nominal faith. Yeah. And so it's, it's not. And and kind of a superstitious one, I feel like, you know, kind of this fear that if I, you know, put away this idol, then, oh, no, I might get sick or I might become poor. Or yeah, that's a big part of it because there's so many idols and, you know, India in itself. So it's it's either you're very poor or you are very financially well off because of the business, mm -hmm. whatever they did. So there's this huge contrast. And for the poor people. You know, they're marginalized and they really have a very hard life. And oftentimes, you know, if they're really super poor, then they're just begging on the streets. So to them, to cling on to any hope and of God, you know, they will 
just gravitate to what they know and they'll reach out. So they're very godly people. It's just that they're being godly to false gods and not. Right. So, you know, it would be awesome to have missionary work in India to be able to go after, you know, yeah. potentially you've got billions of people and many, many are poor. So you, if you gave them hope, you know, like yeah. you know, this and you have paternal life, then there are, there are a lot of ministries over there. Um, I was in India in 2020 and we did a conference for about 300 women. They're all Christian leaders. And so they're having significant impact. One, I also went and helped this one group there who were reaching out to widows because as you know, widows are outcasts. And yeah. so they're, you know, God often allows, not causes, but allows the oppression and suffering because in the when we're oppressed, when we're suffering, we're more open to see a need for a savior, right? Yeah. And so he often does work within the poor, but we've also seen the beginnings may have been with the poor, but then it spreads throughout the country. And we do know that money corrupts. We do know that um, pride really keeps people from God. But yeah. God is powerful. Prayer is powerful. And we just pray. And, and God can definitely break that down. Yeah, the power of prayer is pretty strong. And that's what even all the stuff that was happening in the U.S. Uh, in the last few years, you know, I was hoping that we could connect as Christians and just pray over the nation and the world and all the, because it's it's like a you know cloud of evil that just went off and mm -hmm. took hold everywhere, and so many complied and even like in some of the poorer nations, I saw that many of them were resisting. It's not like they wanted to, but they were just forced into this. So, uh, you know, I do believe a hundred percent that if all of us prayed, that we can hold back evil. Um, yeah, I mean, the fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is wild. You know, it's one of the most oppressed areas. Yeah. And yet it's the gospel is spreading rapidly and it's from person to person. It's from tiny, small house churches. Even in China, the government has shut down most of the churches. But what yeah. they do now is they're back to meeting in homes. Like, I mean, we call them house churches, but they actually often were in office buildings or factories or, you know, big, large places. But now they're down to having um, their time with 10 people, you know, so they yeah. split. Like I was working with a lot of churches where I was and they had to split into sometimes 26 houses wow. but they are and yeah. and the result is that family members that before they didn't want to get up and go to church on a Sunday now it's in their house and suddenly they're coming to Christ and when I uh, connect with my friends which I don't do much you have to be really coded now um, even if you're going through uh, internet so but yeah they they all say to me, nothing can stop God. Nothing yeah. can stop God. And we see that in the Middle East. It is the fastest growing 
uh, place in the world right now of the gospel. Muslims are coming to Christ faster than ever, ever, ever in history. Which is great because, um, you know, I, I know that Iran was initially before it got took over by Muslim rules. They were kind of westernized. They had photos of like people doing normal things and you mm-hmm. know, western and all of a sudden they got so bad that everything was restrictive and women were not allowed to do a single thing without being in the presence of a man. And if they did, you know, death penalty. So it got, you know, extreme uh, to the other end. Yeah. So I'm glad that, you know, the gospel is spreading out and possibly can reverse some of that. But Muslims are like one of the hardest people to reach out because the Bible, they also have like the mirror version of the Bible, it's like all false teaching so they are very strong in their faith saying you know that yes we believe in jesus but we don't believe that he's god so they have Mm -hmm. like a perverted version of the bible themselves so it's hard to ingrain you know what they already one of the uh, yeah i understand you're saying one of the things so interesting is happening is that through all the violence that's been going on there's many muslims who become horrifically disillusioned with islam yeah and they may be afraid to say it i (laughs) think that's definitely yeah but many secretly if they have the opportunity they'll find like through internet there's a huge number of um muslims coming to faith through the internet yeah you know the other thing is think about how like I'm working with some Afghan women right now that came to our area. And, you know, a year ago when we brought over tens of thousands of Afghans and we're going to bring over more, there was no uh, known Afghan church. And now um, there's many coming here and they're coming to Christ. Because they come so broken and wounded and the people who are receiving them and loving on them are often Christians who are giving sacrificially. I'll give an example of this. Uh, It's not an Afghan, but there's a wonderful man that he is Kurdish and he was living in Turkey and the government came and they dropped these um, notices, you know, flyers out of a plane over his city which was a Kurdish city and they said flee your city because we're bombing it tomorrow, wow. tomorrow. Yeah. so they had 24 hours less than that to get out so a lot of the old people did not get out um, but my friend took his wife fortunately and child newborn out um, she lived in the capital and she was not Kurdish so they they quickly fled there. And sure enough, the bombs fell. He lost his office. He lost all his money because it was uh-huh. in a bank that got destroyed. Um, the only thing saved was his life. Fortunately, his parents were didn't die. They were they refused to leave mm-hmm. and it didn't get to their house. And so he said, I'm not going to live here if this is how um, we're going to be treated as Kurds. And so... Yeah. He applied to grad school here and got in, brought his family over, 
we met him. My husband works with international students. So he met him at an orientation, invited him to a walk. And we went to this park and we all went walking and hiking. And then we said to him, you know, what do you need? And he said, well, my wife and child are coming soon. And I got an apartment, but it's literally empty. Uh-huh. <laughs> like there's nothing but a suitcase. And I said, great, let's help us help you. And so our church actually put on a um, freebie, quote unquote, sale where um, church members just donated furniture and and, um, dishes and everything. And we filled up a gym and then we invited international students and they came and we organized the whole thing. And they came and they took they could take up to four large items and as many as they want small items like baking items, things like that. So we had over a hundred students come. We we drove them in. We loaded stuff. We got trucks to take it, and we anyway. So we helped this young man, and we furnished his whole apartment. And uh, we had to add some to it. There wasn't everything there. Well, he was so touched. He's like, "Why do you do this?" And because in in my former, he'd already renounced Islam because he was so angry. In my former religion, no no one would do that, no one. And we said, well, we do it because Jesus loves you. It's Jesus doing it through us. So uh, end of the story is he accepted Christ, not instantaneously, but he started studying instantaneously with my husband and um, got baptized at our church. And, you know, so he's, he's still walking. Now his wife hasn't received Christ yet because um she really appreciates all we've done but she's afraid of offending her parents by giving up her religion so you know you just never know but we do know that uh many are coming to Christ so you just live it don't just preach it (laughs) but live it live it love show the love of Christ are you still part of that church is it in yes okay What's yeah, the, we're doing another one next weekend. <laughs> it's that time of year again. <laughs> What's the name of your church? Oh, Church of the Savior. It's in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. It sounds like you're doing very good works all over the place. So do you have like more missionary trips that you're going to be doing? Yes, I'm going to Uganda in November and then back to Bangladesh in January. And then probably around March, we'll go back to Lebanon. Um, We have some other countries opening up and I'm willing, but because I have a strong commitment to those three countries, I don't want to, unless my workforce, it's slowly growing the workforce, like more people willing to go, then we can open up more. Um, My one friend who I'm speaking at a church tomorrow, um, she does want us to go back to India, to Chennai. So we'll probably do that in a year. So how do you get into missionary work? How did I get into it? Yeah. How, how does one get into missionary work? It has to be supported by a church, right? To be able to. Travel. Oh, well, I initially, I joined uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, which changed your name to CRU, C-R-U. And so you raised your own support. So oh. I have a, a strong support base. And it's like as price prices go up, inflation, whatever, um, then little by little, you just add more, you know, so each year you're trying to. Um, you're going to lose some people. You're going to gain some people yeah. like that. But for the Crown of Beauty International, um, which I 
a crew has provided an account for me for Crown and Beauty International, which is really nice. So people can donate on our website. And what, because every time we go to these places, these countries, we pay for everything for them because we're going to really poor people. And I mean, they don't even have meat every day. They don't, they live in like in Bangladesh, they live in tin shacks, you know? So yeah. we provide um, to bring them into a conference a hotel. We give really yummy food, all three meals. It makes it really special. And then we give uh, books, we print out our conference booklets for them and our discipleship materials, the crown of beauty, we have it in their language. And so we give that out. We pay for their travel if they have to take a bus to get to the conference. So we pay for everything. So usually it's about $10,000 that we have to raise. Yeah. So, so that's strictly raised through Crown of Beauty. But yes, all of you listening, we really appreciate if you push the donate button on our um, podcast, His Heartbeat, or you go onto our website, Crown of Beauty, there's a donate button. Um, I don't see that at all directly goes to those folks that were helping overseas. I was trying to share your website, but Zoom is not letting me share screen because I have oh, okay. the website open, but it's it's being weird right now. Um so I will definitely post links to your website and your books in the when I'm done with your blog page. Um so I only have like a few more minutes, but I was thinking maybe perhaps you can introduce your other books that you've written as well and what they're all about. Sure. So besides the men's one, More Than Conquerors, also 12-week Bible study, I have uh, one, two, three, three devotionals. I'm saying it right. Yes. Um, more Beautiful by the Day. That's a really fun, lot of stories and um, with you know, and scriptures, you know, that one's really fun. Then uh, we wrote uh, recently, my most recent is, um, uh, there we go, just spacing on it. Okay, I'll back up because there was one before that. For such a time as this, which we wrote during COVID to help a devotional to help women get through struggles and crisis, you know, um, there's another one, uh trying to find my most recent um broken but undefeated and that's going through uh, hebrews 11 to learn about faith it's devotionals of faith and it really helps us if we want to go deeper and grow in our faith by looking at the biblical examples of that so broken but undefeated so if you just go on my website and you type in Sue Coral, S-U-E-C-O-R-L, it's just four letters, you drop the A, Coral, um, they'll all come up on there. Okay, wonderful. And I'm also going to list the uh, Amazon affiliate links to all wonderful. your Wonderful, thank you. Thanks. Um, so when you mentioned like it costs $10,000 for each missionary trip, are you saying like, like the for a couple of weeks with the conference and all that, or because you, when you stayed over for a longer term, then that would require a lot more funding, right? When you actually usually at this point, I usually just go two to two and a half max three weeks, um, except when I did India and Bangladesh together, that was five weeks, so that was more money. Um, so that does not include my travel costs or my spending, that's just for them. 
I raised up separately through my own supporters. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what was it like in India when you were there? I loved it. We went to five different cities. Uh, most of my, my ministry work happened in Chennai. Okay. And, uh, that's a more Christian area. And so we were really training leaders in different places. So I loved it. It was exciting and I hope to go back for sure. Yeah. That, that would be great if, uh, cause I, I would love to go back too, but, um, it was probably like when with the, all the COVID restrictions, is it easier or, I mean, it, didn't it get harder for you to travel all these places? Or? Yeah, we literally had shut us down Yeah, travel where we didn't at all. And um, so that the good that came out of that is we did a lot more writing and publishing. And I say we, cause I, we grew a bigger team. I have a core leadership team. There's eight of us, but I have, all total 40 women who are involved in, in teaching Bible studies and in leading and helping. I started my podcast yeah. a year ago, uh, His Heartbeat with Sue Coral, because I had that time. So I think it afforded us time to get up social media. Um, yeah. working on a book right now called um, Thriving, Not Just Surviving. And so, of course, the name could get changed, but... <laughs> Funny that you say that that it, you know you had more time to write books and do the podcast. That's exactly what happened to me. Like I started this just this year, and I finished one book. I'm almost done with the second one. So it's like all of this stuff was really just came out of COVID. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know where it's going, but at least for right now, that's what I'm focused on. Okay. So I'm. This is going to kick me out. So I'm going to say thank you so much. Um, yeah. For on thank today. you. And I will send you all the information and links once I'm done with the podcast. And I hope oh, great. to hear from you again and see where you're at. Thank yeah. You. If you want to connect with us for India, let us know. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. All, all right. right. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. And I hope this is encouraging to all you listeners. And yeah. my podcast too, if you like his heartbeat with, with Sue Coral. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, thank you. I, I know it's very informational for me and others who are listening. So uh, until next time, thank you and have a great day. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye.